Good morning, everyone. And those of you who are online as well, good morning to you. Fantastic that we can come together and celebrate Christmas as a family. You know, I've been preaching Christmas messages for the last 30 years, I think. Every, almost every Christmas, I have to say something about Christmas. But you know, the amazing thing is this. You never grow tired of the Christmas story, isn't it? Now, each time, you just get refreshed as you, again, are reminded of what Jesus did for us by coming physically into our world, and then as a result, sealing for us eternal salvation. And it's so amazing. And today is, again, my joy and privilege to be able to bring to you a Christmas message. And if you have your Bibles, if you'd like to go with me to Luke chapter 2, I'm going to go there and then let me refresh once again, our memory of what Jesus came to bring for us. Luke chapter 2, I want to start reading from verse 8 until verse 16, and then bring you something which I've entitled, What Are You Looking For This Christmas? So let's go to Luke chapter 2, and start reading from verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace, shalom, to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels have left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who are lying in a manger. Lord, I pray that this morning you will refresh each one of us again with the wonderful story of Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. And Lord, I pray that as your word goes forth, may you encourage us, lift us up in a time like this when there's so much going on in this world. We all need to be encouraged and we thank you, Lord, for the wonderful message of Christmas. So come and speak as your servants hear us in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. I was so inspired by what uh, Inga said earlier about her children's story. I'll tell you one, okay? Uh, there's a story told about a Sunday school teacher who really wanted to teach her children the danger of drinking alcohol. And so the best way to do it is to do it through an object lesson, and that's what she did. So she took a beaker of alcohol into the class, and then she took a live worm into the class as well. And then right in front of all these little kids, she threw the live worm into the alcohol and immediately the worm shriveled up, sank to the bottom and died. Right, so very triumphantly, the teacher lifted up the beaker to the class and he said to the class, okay children, what does this teach you about drinking alcohol? And one five-year-old girl put up her hand and she said, teacher, this teaches me that if I drink alcohol, I will have no worms. And actually, that is absolutely true. <laughs> if you drink alcohol, it will kill every germ in your body. <laughs> but what's my point? My point is this. It's all a matter of perspective. What are we looking for? You see, to a teacher, the danger is in the alcohol. Is that right? But to a child, 
The danger is not in the alcohol. The danger is in the worm. So it all depends on what you are looking for. And our perspective determines everything. And we were told in Luke chapter 2, verse 11, on the first Christmas 2,000 years ago, the angels told the shepherds in Luke 2, 11, today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you, and he is Christ the Lord. And this is a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped up in clothes and lying in a manger. Then after that, what happened? The shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and let's see for ourselves that which has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And then they went, and what happened? They found the Saviour. Why? Because that's what they were looking for. But the Bible also tells us that there were wise men from the east who came searching because of the star, they came searching for the Christ child. And how do I know this? Matthew chapter 2, verse 2. Listen to this. Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? They asked one another. We saw his star in the east and we have come to worship him. So what happened? The wise men all came to Bethlehem and there they found the king. Why? Because that's what they were looking for. So my question for all of us this morning is this. What are you looking for this Christmas? I don't know what you're going through. I don't know exactly what you're looking for. But I want you to know that God wants to give you. Why did Jesus come more than 2,000 years ago? It's because he wanted to give you three very precious gifts. And my prayer for all of us is that by the time we leave this hall this morning, all of us would have made these gifts our own and make it personal to ourselves. Here are three priceless gifts that I think Jesus came to bring us. Number one is this, is the gift of forgiveness. It's a powerful gift, the gift of forgiveness. In Luke chapter 2, verse 11, again it says, Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you, and he is Christ the Lord. And when you look at this verse, I want you to notice this beautiful word there. It's the word saviour. I think this is what Christmas is all about. Now, naturally, you may ask me, but pastor, what do, why do I need a saviour? Because the moment you said that I, I need a saviour, it means what? It means you need to be saved from something, right? So the question is, what do I need to be saved from? Why would I need a saviour? Why would God need to send us a saviour? Now, this is the answer. In, the angel said in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, she will give birth to a son, referring to Mary, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from what? He will save his people from their sins. Brothers and sisters, this is what mankind need to be saved from. We all need to be saved from our sins. How many of you will amen that? Every one of us here, we need to be saved from our sins. Why? Because sin is an inside job. Sin is an inside job. Sin is not just all the things we do on the outside. Sin is a nature that we were born with. Every single baby that is born on the face of this earth already have a sin nature that is in them because we live in a fallen race. We are a fallen people. Every one of us have sinned. Everyone is born selfish. How do I know? I just have a granddaughter. 18 months old, she has already learned how to be selfish. I don't need to teach her. You know, she would give us a blueberry and then sometimes we try and teach her how to share and say, okay, Zoe, share, give, give your year one 
blueberry, and this is what she at first she will do that. But after a while, now that she's eight, 18 months, now what she do is this. She give you the blueberry, take it back. Just on time. <laughs> Selfish. Where did, they learn, where did they learn that from? And we never taught them to do that. It's, in, it's an inside job, you see. Sin is inside of our human nature. The best way I can illustrate it, it is like the way that a worm actually ends up in an apple. Now, we, we all think, you know, that the worm actually eats its way into the apple, right? That's how we think. Every time you see a worm in the apple, you think the worm is eating its way into the apple, but the truth is, it's not like that. The truth is, the worm is eating its way out of the apple. The worm is not eating its way into the apple. The worm is eating its way out of the apple. Now, some of you smart ones will say, Pastor, that cannot be. How did the worm end up in the apple in the first place? I'll tell you how it happened. It's because an insect would actually lay an egg in the apple blossom. And then as that blossom begins to develop and it turns into a fruit, guess what? That's when the egg hatches inside the apple and then the worm has to eat its way out. Are you with me? It is not that the apple is, the worm is eating its way into the apple. The worm is actually eating its way out of the apple. And I thought that's a perfect illustration of, the, of sin. In the same way, I want you to know that sin begins in the heart of man and then it works its way out. Because of the sin nature that's already in us that we are born with, we all end up sinning on the outside. And guess what? It is our sins that we commit that then separates us from a holy God. Our sins separate us from this holy God. And that's what we need to be saved from. I like this uh, little boy, you know, who wrote a letter to Santa Claus, okay? And listen to what the letter goes. Dear Santa, there are three boys living in my house. Jeffrey is two, David is four, Norman is seven. Jeffrey is good some of the time. David is good most of the time. Norman is good all the time. I am Norman. <laughs> but I tell you, my, that's, my, that's where my problem is. My problem is that I am not Norman. My problem is that I'm not good all the time. In fact, the things that I know I should do, I don't have the strength to do it. The things that I know I shouldn't do, I end up doing. How many of you identify with that? The things that we jolly well know we should be doing, we don't have the ability to do it. The things that we know we shouldn't do, we end up doing. The Bible calls it the dilemma of sin. All of us struggle with this. From the day we are born, the moment we have understanding and volition, we struggle with it. The things I want to do, no strength to do. The things I should not do, I end up doing. And then we struggle with this. Now, I understand that sin manifests itself in different ways through different generations. But I can tell you this, whether you're a baby boomer or you're a millennial, every single one of us lives selfish lives. Am I right? Every single one of us hurt people with unkind words that we, we, we speak. We act in ways that harm other people. We make promises we never keep. We lie. How many of you never lied before? Can I see your hands? Yeah, I see a hand over there. You just lied, you know? <laughs> we all lie. We all do our own thing. We disregard God and we act like as if we live like as if He does not exist. Every one of us are trapped in our own pride and lust and addiction. And it is our sins that then separate us from a holy God. The Bible, in fact, put it this way in Romans 6.23, for the penalty of sin is death. All of us have sinned and the penalty of sin is death. 
But I got, the, the, the truth is this, God in all of His holiness cannot just overlook our sin. He cannot just, in all justice, cover up sin. If He's a just God, He cannot just close one eye and pretend it didn't happen. Sin must be dealt with. Sin must be paid for. And that is why, brothers and sisters, God sent us a Savior so that we can get to heaven on someone else's ticket. We're getting to heaven not on our own steam. We get to heaven on Jesus' ticket. And Jesus came to save us from our sin. And brothers and sisters, this is good news. A Savior has been born. If not, we will never be able to break through this. Revelations chapter 13, verse 8, tell us this, that Jesus was the Lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. From day one, God already foresaw everything. He knew that we will struggle with sin and we'll never make it. That's why He sent us a Savior. And Jesus became that Lamb that was slain for the creation of the world. He came to pay a debt He didn't owe so that you and I can be set free from a debt we can never pay. And only then can our sins be forgiven. Brothers and sisters, what good news is this, right? Unto us a Saviour is born. That's why we celebrate Christmas. And now we can be forgiven. This is the priceless gift we can find this Christmas. And God is offering every single one of us here a chance to have our past forgiven and wiped clean. Brothers and sisters, we can leave this place today with a conscience that is free from the guilt of sin. We can have a new beginning in Christ. We can have a brand new life to start with. So you may ask, so where do we start? How can I receive this gift of forgiveness? Acts chapter 10, verse 43, tell us this. All the prophets testify about him, about Jesus, that everyone who believes in him receive forgiveness of sin through his name. So here's the answer. Where do we begin? It is by putting our faith in Jesus. And once you put your name, uh, put your faith in his name, we receive forgiveness of sin. So my question for all of us this morning, will we receive this liberating gift of forgiveness this Christmas? This priceless gift, number one. Here's number two. It's the, price, it's, it's the gift of peace. The gift of peace. You know, on the first Christmas, when the angels appeared to the shepherds, they also declared in Luke chapter 2, verse 14. Listen to this one. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, Peace to men on whom his favor rests. Shalom to men. Peace to men on whom his favor rests. How many of you agree that we live in a very turbulent world today? We live in a world full of turmoil and turbulence at this time. Nations against nations. Left versus right, you know, blacks versus white, east versus west. And with all the turmoil that is going on in our world right now, peace has become a priceless commodity that man is seeking after. But yet, in the midst of that mad pursuit for a sense of peace, I don't think people understand what true peace really is. You know, for some people, peace is drinking until you are drunk and numb and so that you can escape that pain for a while. For some others, peace is running from one relationship to another to another, hoping to find someone that can fill up the void, the emptiness that is inside. 
For still others, peace is chasing after the security of having more in our bank account. But the funny thing is, enough never seems to be enough. For some, peace is binging on Netflix and playing computer games, you know, till morning to night, 24-7. But tell me, is that really what peace is all about? Not quite. I think the peace that Jesus is talking about here is a peace from God. It's different. It's a peace from God. Uh, I think peace is when I know that I know my sins are forgiven and I'm a friend of God. Peace is when I know that no matter how I messed up in my life, God will never leave me. He will never forsake me. Peace is when I know that God will always be my strength and my fortress to the thick and thin of life. Jesus put it this way in John 14, 27. He said, peace, shalom, I live with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. In other words, this peace that he gives to us is different from that of the world. Okay? Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. I think this is the peace that Jesus came to bring. It is a peace that is different from how the world understands it. And that's why Jesus said, I do not give you as the world gives. Now, here's the taste. To the world, peace is when there's an absence of turmoil on the outside. But I think true peace is the presence of God on the inside. To this world, what is peace? Peace is when I've got no, when there's an absence of trouble on the outside. Nobody's disturbing me. I'm doing my own thing. That's peace. But the peace that Jesus talked about is the presence of God on the inside. So deep that it doesn't matter what is happening on the outside. Something deep inside tells you, it is well, it is well with my soul. The best way I can illustrate it would be, think of an ocean, okay? If you think, think of an ocean. On the surface of the ocean, there's a huge storm that is brewing. So there's turbulence going on, there's all kinds of things happening on the surface. But no matter what is happening on the surface of the ocean, if you go into the ocean and you go deep, deeper and deeper and deeper, you cross a certain point. At the near the seabed, there is total calm there. That is the peace of God. Are you with me? That's the peace of God. Doesn't matter what is happening on the surface, but deep inside, we know it is well with my soul. There's a, there's a stillness that is there. It's the peace of God. And I think the Bible says that it's a peace so deep that no matter what goes on on the outside, there is a peace within that remains. And that's why the Apostle Paul says it's a peace that surpasses understanding. And that's how the hymnist was talking about when the hymnist wrote this, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever, my Lord, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. In the midst of grieving for a family that is lost uh, at sea, um, here is, um, the hymnist wrote this, it is well, it is well with my soul. And because this peace, this deep peace that surpasses understanding has now become our inheritance, Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. Now, having said that, you know, we know all of us can inherit this shalom from God that can carry us through all the different issues of life, but 
I want to be realistic in saying that we don't live in a world where everything is hunky-dory all the time. We don't live in a world where everything is turning out well all the time. We all go through ups and downs. There's stuff that happens that really can rob us of our peace. I call them peace stealers. This, there are things that can steal our peace. There's the peace that God wants to give you. It can steal it away from us. I can think of at least three. Let me outline them for you. Number one is guilt. Why do people lose a sense of peace? One thing is guilt. Now, I ask many people, now, what, what is guilt? And the common response I get is this. It's a terrible feeling you get when you know that you have done something wrong. So, what is guilt? They say, oh, it's a terrible feeling you get when you know that you have done something wrong. But can I suggest, that's not guilt. That is simply a description of what a guilty feeling is. It's not guilt itself. It is a description of what a guilty feeling is. And we all go through that. But I want you to understand this. Guilt is not just a feeling, but guilt is real. Guilt is permanent. In fact, guilt is, 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 is actual. And guilt is a result of sin. It's because we know we have violated God or we have violated one another. And that's where the guilt is. And that results in guilty feelings. And the truth is this. When it comes to guilt, you cannot imagine it away. You cannot explain it away. You cannot pretend it's not there. I know you can go to a psychologist and have it suppressed for a while, but it is still there. It will not go away. It's just like what happened uh, one day I was driving by, I think, I believe it was South Street, and there were some kids, you know, just playful kids. They were hiding in a bush, and every time the cars drive by, they throw eggs at the, at the car. And my car happened to go by at that time, they threw an egg, and it landed on my window. And I got out, it was so messy, I just took a tissue paper, I just wiped it off, and I just left it. I didn't clean it after that. And guess what? That stain never went away. It was real. It was there. And it never went away. And those stains on the window just got worse and worse and worse. And together with the sun and the, and the, you know, and, and the, the time and all that, that stain actually hardens into a rock-like substance. In the end, I got to take a chisel you know, and literally scrap it off. I think that is a picture of guilt. It is real, and it's there, and it's not going to go away. And the only thing that can scrape off this guilt, I believe, is the blood of Jesus. Guilt is like this. Where there is sin, there is guilt. But the good news of the gospel is this. Jesus came 2,000 years ago so that our sins can be washed away, and then this guilt can be scrapped off. And that's why the hymnist wrote this, right? What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I found. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And ladies and gentlemen, I got good news for you. You need not walk out of this hall with guilt anymore. Today, God has made it possible. Ephesians 1.7 says this, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sin in accordance with the riches of God's grace. And God actually said to all of us today, I have sent you a Savior to wipe away your sin so that you can be forgiven. And I want to challenge every one of us today, you don't have to let guilt rob you of the peace that Jesus came to give. And He came to give us a peace free of a guilt conscience. 
How? Put your faith in Jesus Christ and let His precious blood cleanse you from all sin and scrape away every bit of guilt. Hebrews 10, verse 21 and 22. Listen to this one. Since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from what? Cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Guilt, uh, peace stiller number one, guilt. Here's another one, grief. Grief. You know, another thing that can rob us of peace is grief. For some of us here, we could be going through a major pain right now. And holiday seasons, I always felt, is a double-edged sword, you know. Holidays are fantastic for happy people. For people that are happy, holidays just intensify our happiness. But for people, it can have the flip side as well. Because I think holidays can sometimes conjure up all kinds of memories. You know, for some, going through a holiday is... It could help you to, re- may actually make you recall the loss of a loved one or a divorce that you went through or abandonment in your life. And grief often can rob us of that shalom. It robs us of that peace. And I want you to know that God cares about what you're going through. He sees it and He knows all about it. And He tells us in 1 Peter 4, 7, cast all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. So why don't you give him this Christmas all your griefs, all your sorrows, all your cares and anxieties, and then exchange it for his gift of peace, his gift of shalom. So we have guilt, we can have grief that robs us of our peace, and here's one last one, grudges. Grudges. You know, this is another thing that robs people of their sense of shalom and peace. It's a grudge, it's a, it's a resentment, it's a bitterness, it's an unforgiveness inside. And here's the thing, we feel guilty when we hurt others, but we feel grudges when others hurt us. Am I right? We feel guilty when we hurt others, but we feel grudges when others hurt us. And truth be told, in life, we all get hurt. Right? We all get hurt, every one of us, either intentionally or unintentionally. But the best thing we can do with our hurts, with our anger and things like that, is to let go and release them to the Lord. Because if we hold on to our grudges, we will only end up hurting ourselves. The more you hold on to your bitterness, the more it eats you up and the more it destroys us. You know, one of my favorite stories about a farmer, you know, who got really, really upset with an eager that uh, ate up some of his chickens in the chicken coop, you know, in, in, his, uh, in his chicken coop. And he got really mad and he really wanted to get back at this eager. So he set a trap and he waited for months, you know. And, but he finally succeeded and he managed to trap this eager. And this is what he did. He took a stick of dynamite, he tied it to the eager's feet and then he released the bird. He lit the, the dynamite and then released the bird. He wanted the pure sadistic pleasure of watching this bird blow up in mid-air. And so that's what he did. He caught the bird, tied dynamite there, lit it, and released it. That bird flew one round and came back to the farmer's house. 
and blew it to smithereens. <laughs> you get my point? You know, you hold on to your grudges. You hold on and this desire to hurt other people back, it will end up hurting ourselves. And it is really not worth it. It's really not worth holding on to this resentment and bitterness and unforgiveness. But this Christmas, we can let it all go so that we can receive the peace that God really wanted to give us. If you are still holding on to your past hurts or the people that hurt you in the past, this is not smart. Because while you are brewing, while you are steaming, while you are churning inside, the people who hurt you, they are having a time of their life. They are living their own life. You know, to me, I think that holding on to grudges, holding on to bitterness and all that is like having to sleep with a heavy snorer. Any one of you sleep with a heavy snorer? You know how is it like, right? You are turning and twisting. You cannot sleep. What's happening to this guy? <laughs> He's having a time of his life. You wake up the next morning so tired. That guy wakes up refreshed, you know. What, is it worth it? It's not worth it. It's really not worth holding on to our grudges. Now, but some of you may say, but Pastor Benny, you don't understand. You know, they hurt me so much, I cannot forgive them. I cannot let it go. I cannot. Guess what? You're right. That's why we needed Jesus. It's only Jesus that can give us that power to forgive and that power to let go. See, if you want to do, and, and you want to do this, you want to let it go, not because they deserve to be forgiven, but because you deserve to move on in your life. You do not want to get stuck in grudges. But this morning, you can claim your gift of peace this Christmas by choosing to forgive and let go. So I want to challenge you today. Let go of your guilt, your grief, and your grudges and exchange them for this liberating, powerful, amazing gift of peace that Jesus came to bring us. Gift number one is forgiveness. The gift of forgiveness, redemption. Gift number two, precious, is a gift of peace, reconciliation. Can I give you one more? It's the gift of life. That's the gift of restoration. It's a gift of life. That's what Jesus came to bring us. You know, one of the most often quoted verses, and I'm sure if I ask you to come and quote it, you will be able to quote it by heart, is John 3.16, right? We all know this verse. For God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but they have everlasting life. I think this verse expressed in no uncertain terms why Jesus came 2,000 years ago. He came to bring us this wonderful gift of eternal life. Now, you may ask, what is eternal life? I'll put it simply this way. Eternal life is an abundant life with God today. Whilst looking forward to a life in eternity with God when we die. You know, uh, it, the moment you come to Christ today, eternal life for you can begin. And eternal life is first an abundant life with God right now, whilst looking forward to a life eternal with God when we die. And I want you to know, brothers and sisters, this is one gift that you will never get anywhere else. You cannot find it under any Christmas tree. You will find it only at Calvary's tree. And this is a gift from God. Therefore, you need not work for it. That's the good news. You just have to receive it by faith. 
Everything has been paid for so that this gift can now be yours without you having to do anything. You don't have to sort your life out before you can come to Christ, before you can receive this gift of eternal life. You know, I like this, uh, this true story. There's an American pastor who was having a vacation with his wife on a borrowed sailboat. So they kind of borrowed a sailboat and they were sailing around, having a time of their life. And then their sailboat actually went past a luxury yacht that, was, that belongs to this lady uh, that, who, who owns it. And then as they, as they sailed past, they just waved at each other and then they started a conversation. And they like each other's company so much that this uh, luxury yacht owner actually turned to the, to the pastor and his wife and said, hey, I'm having a party on the yacht tonight, so why don't you come and join us? And that's what they did. They came by and then they joined the party and they were having a great time that evening until one of the guests turned to the pastor and asked him that million-dollar question. And the question was this, so what do you do for a living? <laughs> What's your job? Okay, then the pastor had no choice, right? He had to tell the truth. So he says, oh, I'm a pastor. He thought that that was going to kill the conversation. But to his surprise, this guest actually got very interested. So he said, huh, that's an interesting job. Tell me why we would do it. And that started an interesting conversation. Other guests begin to come in. Before you know it, there's a group of people having a spiritual conversation. And this went on until it was time to go. And then the pastor and his wife was getting back into their sailboat uh, when the host of the, of the party at that moment turned to the pastor and said this. He said, Pastor, you know, I have this question. I always wanted to ask a Christian. And since you're here, can I just ask, uh, the question is this, huh? what does it mean to be a Christian really? What's, it, what's so unique about being a Christian? What's, what's so special about that? And the pastor knew that he only got about 30 seconds to give a fantastic answer because any answer longer than 30 seconds, he's not going to be able to get this group of uh, people because by that time, they already drink and drink a little bit tipsy already. He knows they, they're not going to be able to take a long answer, so he's got to come up with a brilliant answer in 30 seconds. Now, if I were to ask you today, uh, if someone come and ask you, what's so unique about being a Christian? What's so special about being Christian? What would your answer be in 30 seconds? This American pastor gave a brilliant answer, and I thought I'll read it for you, what he said. And it's beautiful. Here's what he said. What's so special about being a Christian? He said, I want you to know that we are living in a society that deals with performance. Do your best. Don't fail. Be good with your studies. Be successful in your career. And when it comes to religion, we feel that we can have some buffer from that. But when you enter into religion, you realize that religion says the same thing. Because religion is really based upon a word with two letters. The two letters are D-O or do. But Christianity is different. Christianity is a four-lettered word. It is D-O-N-E, done. And I think it's brilliant. Because every religion I know is about man trying to reach out to God, isn't it? Men trying to get right with God. So what do we do? You need to do this, you need to do that, don't do this, don't do that. That's how you get right with God. We've got to sort ourselves out, then we can get right with God. But Christianity is entirely different. It is not me trying to reach God. It is God actually coming down to, to reach me. He did everything for me so that He could reach me. That's the good news, brothers and sisters. Are you with me? 
Christianity is not do, it is done. The meaning of Christmas is found here. 2,000 years ago, when God sent Jesus to die on Calvary for our sin, and then on that cross, when He was shedding His blood, he, Jesus said this, it is finished, it is done. And the penalty for our sin has been paid in full. There's nothing else we need to do to get right with God. This gift of eternal life is now made available to all mankind. This is good news. And this is what Christmas is all about. It is a celebration of an invasion. God Himself invaded the earth 2,000 years ago as a human being. Why? Because your pain matters to God. Because your problems matter to God. Your potential matters to God. Your eternity matters to God. You matter to God. And so He came to reach us. And then through what He did on the cross of Calvary, Jesus can offer all of us this Christmas forgiveness for all of our past, peace for our present, and eternal life for our future. So why don't we come and claim these things this morning, you know, and this is going to form the anchor. These are the things that form the anchor for our hope. And this hope that we have in Jesus has a name. This hope has a name, and that name is Jesus. And you know what, brothers and sisters, we are only one prayer away from receiving these gifts of forgiveness, peace, and eternal life. We're only one prayer away. Only one prayer away this morning from making all this real and personal to ourselves. Maybe you're here first time, maybe many times, but you have never personally prayed to ask Jesus to come to your life. You have not personally go to God to say, I want this eternal life. I want this peace that only you can give. I want this forgiveness of sin. You know, then, this morning, I want to help you pray and make this gift personal to yourself. But before I do that, I want to give you an opportunity just for you to think and to reflect, a time for you to just sit and just take in whatever I've shared with you, this wonderful Saviour that came more than 2,000 years ago to make peace your portion, to make forgiveness your inheritance and to make life, eternal life, your possession. I want to spend some time this morning just to reflect with this song, Hope Has a Name. And then after that, I'm going to come back and I'm going to invite you to come to where I am so that I can then lead you in a prayer to let Jesus come into your life and to actually make these gifts real to yourself. And during this time as you reflect, if you come with a friend and your friend would like to come down, but sometimes it's quite intimidating with such a, a crowd. You know, maybe you can ask your friend and you can accompany your friend and come down to the front together and we can all pray together and make these things real. But as you reflect and as you think, would you listen to this song, Hope Has a Name.